0: Chapter Fifteen of Florence Nightingale, The Angel of the Crimea. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Savannah Alday. Florence Nightingale, The Angel of the Crimea, by Laura E. Richards. Chapter Fifteen. THE TASK OF PEACE Now the people of England had been on tiptoe for some days with eagerness, waiting to welcome the heroine of the Crimea back to her native shores. They would give her such a reception as no one had ever yet had in that land of hospitality and welcomeings. She should have bells and cannon and bonfires, processions and deputations and addresses. She should have everything that anybody could think of. When they found that their heroine had slipped quietly through their fingers as it were and was back in her own peaceful home once more people were sadly disappointed they must give up the cannon and the bonfires but at least they might have a glimpse of her so hundreds of people crowded the roads and lanes about leah hurst waiting and watching an old lady living at the park gate told mrs tooley i remember the crowds as if it were yesterday It took me all my time to answer them. Folks came in carriages and on foot, and there was titled people among them, and a lot of soldiers, some of them without arms and legs, who had been nursed by Miss Florence in the hospital. And I remember one man who had been shot through both eyes coming and asking to see Miss Florence. But not ten out of the hundreds who came got a glimpse of her. If they wanted help about their pensions, they were told to put it down in writing, and Miss Florence's maid came with an answer. Of course she was willing to help everybody, but it stood to reason she could not receive them all. Why, the park wouldn't have held all the folks that came, and besides, the old squire wouldn't have his daughter made a staring stock of. After the first disappointment, which after all was perfectly natural, all sensible people realized how weary Miss Nightingale must be after her tremendous labors, and how much she must need rest all who knew her too knew that she never could abide public demonstrations so they left her in peace and began sending her things to show their gratitude in a different way the first gift of this kind she had received before she left the crimea from good queen victoria herself this was the nightingale jewel as it is called a ruby red enamel cross in a white field encircled by a black band with the words blessed are the merciful the letters v r surmounted by a crown in diamonds are impressed upon the centre of the cross green enamel branches of palm tipped with gold form the framework of the shield while around their stems is a riband of blue enamel with the single word Crimia. on the top are three brilliant stars of diamonds on the back is an inscription written by the queen another gift received on the scene of her labours was a magnificent diamond bracelet sent her by the Sultan of Turkey. I do not know of any more jewels, but two gifts that Miss Nightingale prized highly were a fine case of cutlery sent her by the workmen of Sheffield, each knife-blade inscribed with the words, Presented to Florence Nightingale, 1857, and the silver-bound oak-case inlaid with a representation of the Good Samaritan, and a beautiful pearl inlaid writing-desk presented by her friends and neighbours near Leah Hurst all those things were very touching. Still more touching were the letters that came from all over the country, thanking and blessing her for all she had done. Truly it was a happy homecoming. Miss Nightingale knew that she was very, very weary. She realized that she must have a long rest, but she little thought how long it must be. She and all her friends thought that after a few months she would be able to take up again the work she so loved, And become the active leader in introducing the new methods of nursing into England. But the months passed and grew from few to many, and still her strength did not return. The next year, indeed, when the dreadful Indian mutiny broke out, she wrote to her friend Lady Canning, wife of the Governor General of India, offering to come at twenty four hours notice if there was anything to do in her line of business. But Lady Canning knew that she was not equal to such a task. Slowly, gradually, the truth came to Florence Nightingale. She was never going to be strong or well again. Always delicate, the tremendous labours of the Crimea had been too much for her. While the work went on, the frail body answered the call of the powerful will, the undaunted mind, the great heart. Now that the task was finished, it sank down, broken, and exhausted. Truly she had given her life, as much as any soldier who fought and died in the trenches or on the battlefield." And what did she do when she finally came to realize this did she give up and say my work on earth is done not she there may have been some dark hours but the world has never heard of them she never for an instant thought of giving up her work she simply changed the methods of it the poor tired body must stay in bed or on the sofa very well but the mind was not tired at all the will was not weakened the heart had not ceased to throb with love and compassion for the sick the sorrowful, the suffering. The question was to find the way in which they could work with as little trouble as might be to their poor sick friend the body. The way was soon found, whether at Leahurst or in London, for she now spent a good deal of her time in the great city to be near the centre of things. Her sick room became one of the busiest places in all England. Schemes for army reform, for hospital reform, for reform in everything connected with the poor and the sick, all these must be brought to Miss Nightingale. All the soldiers in the country must write to her whenever they wanted anything, from a pension down to a wooden leg. To their honour be it said, however, that though she was overwhelmed with begging letters from all parts of the country, not a soldier ever asked her for money. The Nightingale Fund, now nearly fifty thousand pounds, was administered under her advice and direction, and the first training school for nurses organized and opened. The old, incapable, ignorant nurse vanished, and the modern nurse, educated, methodical, clear-eyed and clear-headed, took her place quietly. One of the great changes of modern times was effected, and the hand that directed it was the same one that we have seen holding the lamp or writing down the dying soldier's last words in the barrack hospital at Scutari. That slender hand wrote books with all the rest of its work, and the sick-room, as in the hospital... Miss Nightingale had no time to waste. Her hospital notes may be read today with the keenest interest by all who care to know more of that great story, the Crimean War. Her notes on nursing became the handbook of the nursing reform, and ought to be in the hands of every nurse today, as it was in 1860, when it was written. Nor in the hands of nurses only. I wish every girl and every boy who reads the story would try to find that slender, dingy volume in some library, and read, mark, learn and inwardly digest its contents they would know a good deal more than they do now well might miss nightingale write in eighteen sixty one i passed the last four years between four walls only varied to other four walls once a year and i believe there is no prospect but of my health becoming ever worse and worse to the hour of my release but i have never ceased during one waking hour since my return to england five years ago labouring for the welfare of the army at home As i did abroad and no hour have i given to friendship or amusement during that time but all to work drop a stone in the water and see how the circles spread growing wider and wider after a while you cannot see them but you know that the motion you have started must go on and on till it whispers against the pebbles on the farther shore so it is with a good deed or an evil one we see its beginning we cannot see what distant shore it may reach so no one will ever know the full amount of good that this noble woman has done. The sanitary commission of our own civil war, the Red Cross which to-day counts as workers by thousands in every part of the civilized world, both owed their first impulse to the pebble dropped by Florence Nightingale, even her own life given freely to suffering humanity. I have never seen, but I like to think, of the quiet room in London, where she lies to-day in the white beauty of her age. Nearly ninety years have passed since the little girl-baby woke to life among the blossoms of the city of flowers. More than half a century has gone by since the lady with the lamp passed like light along the corridors of the barrack hospital. Yet still, Florence Nightingale lives and loves. Still, her thoughts go out in tenderness and compassion toward all who are in trouble, sorrow, need, sickness, or any other adversity. Let us think of that quiet room as one of the holy places of the earth. Let us think of her and take our leave of her with loving and thankful hearts. End of chapter fifteen. Recording by Savannah Alday. End of florence nightingale, the angel of the crimea by laura e Richards.